Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass is joined by Corey DeAngelis. Corey is the Director of School Choice at Reason Foundation and is also an adjunct scholar at Cato Institute. They discuss school choice as a moral issue and the case for educational freedom in rural areas. Find more Show Me Institute podcasts on SoundCloud at soundcloud slash showmeinstitute and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Corey DeAngelis. So good to talk to you this morning because I uh, feel like a lone voice out here in Missouri sometimes, and I'm talking about why school choice works in rural areas, why school choice is what parents want, and why it's not uh, a terrifying prospect. What do you say to that? Yeah, I definitely agree with you that you know parents, you know, have the best interests of their children in mind, and if we allow them to choose their their kids' educations, they tend to do a really good job, and they pick very good schools for their kids. Uh, If you look at the evidence on this, it's overwhelmingly positive in favor of private and public school choice, especially when you start looking at non-test score outcomes. Um, So, you know, the evidence is in the the favor of parents and the theory is in the favor of parents, right? Like parents care more about their kids than bureaucrats uh, hundreds hundreds of miles away. Yeah, but I mean, it's 2020. And I was telling you, I was at an event this week where I was the kind of pro school choice voice and there was an anti school choice voice in front of a group of lawyers and to this like even today to hear like we don't need to let parents choose schools we need to uh, spend more money on the schools we have is something that I just have a hard time (laughs) still hearing I've been doing this for I don't know 25 years I've been hearing that a long time and I would think that by now we have plenty of digits or, or I mean schools with single digit rates of proficiency if it were a matter of just spending more money on those schools, it would have worked by now. You know what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. It would have worked already. We've substantially increased our investment in government-run schools in the United States. Over the last half century, we've nearly quadrupled uh, pure pupil education expenditures, even after adjusting for inflation. And our outcomes have remained flat no matter how you look at sure. uh, how you measure it. Uh, and Eric Kanishek did a great meta-analysis of around 400 studies and he found no you know significant yeah. correlation between spending and outcomes so the evidence tends to suggest that more money doesn't matter and and, and again the theory uh the, the theory is is strong against thinking that just throwing more money at the problem is going to fix anything when you don't have strong incentives to actually do a good job. Right. Yeah, and you know the answer to this is obvious. It's school choice. Get rid of the residentially assigned monopolies Absolutely. and uh, you know give schools incentives to do a good job with that money. It's right. not about how much you spend. It's about how you spend it. Sure. So then this guy said, uh, full disclosure, I sent my kids. I live in the city, and I sent my kids to private schools. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care where you sent your kids. You know what I mean? I sent my kids to public school. I don't need to defend that. I honestly don't care what parents pick for their kids. I have known parents who wanted their kids to go to outdoor schools or they want them to go to year-round school. I mean, to me, that doesn't matter. Once we unleash what parents want, then we'll come up with lots of innovative solutions on the supply side that are basically never going to happen in the current situation. Yeah, you shouldn't have to apologize for the type of school that you choose for your own children. I think, you know, people... Uh, you know, should just accept that other people are going to have different values and beliefs than you. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you should be able to choose the own, your own school for your own child, and they should be able to do the same for, for their own children. You know, so, you know, that could be a public uh, government-run school, a government-run magnet school. It sure. could be a, 
charter school, a private school, a homeschool option, unschooling. It, sure. it can include all of these different options. And I think I think people are starting to understand that that individuals can, you know, make these decisions for their own kids and that the traditional model, cookie cutter, cookie cutter uh, traditional public school model just yeah. isn't working for, a, you know, a lot of kids. So many kids. And why do you think then public officials feel the need to lie about where they sent their kids to school? Because so many times the people yeah. who are super against school choice, we know for a fact many of them send their kids to private schools, but they don't want people to know they sent their kids. Like, so that's why I think this guy was like, full disclosure. I'm like, that's a good thing. You're not telling me something that you should be embarrassed about, but yet people lie. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the reason for this is obvious. Right. Like if if you did not care about where other people sent their own children to school, you wouldn't have to do this whole full disclosure. I sent my own kid to private school thing mm -hmm. because it wouldn't matter. Right. Like no one would judge you for that. But the thing is, these politicians and union members, a lot of them send their own kids to private schools, mm -hmm. but then say, oh, no, you know, we don't want other people to be able to make those same choices that we had for our own children. So it makes them look like huge hypocrites. Right. And this guy said, look, we can't let parents in St. Louis choose charter schools because those will be the most engaged parents. Then what you'll have left behind are the kids with like the worst parents. And then those bad schools will get worse. I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, we can't let some people out of a failing school because then it will fail harder. It's like, listen to what you're saying. And also yeah. that they don't have a I don't think that many people who are against school choice have a fundamental belief that parents are capable of making good choices. Yeah. And I mean, that argument essentially is equivalent to saying, look, we're on a, a sinking ship and it's going down. But, hey, we don't want anybody to use any lifeboats because, yeah. you know, we won't have enough for everyone. So everybody should just uh, go down and crash and burn. That's sure. the, essentially the logic of, the, of that argument. But it's not actually it's actually not borne out in reality because school choice leads to competitive pressures for the public schools to to improve their game and mm -hmm. there's you know 27 studies on this mm -hmm. that link private school choice competition to outcomes in the public schools and 25 of the 27 studies find statistically significant positive effects on the academic outcomes of kids who don't even use school choice who remain in the public schools and just benefit from those competitive pressures so you don't even have to exercise school choice to benefit from it i mean you can see it there was a study that was done in new york city where they said the strongest competitive pressure was from when one school is located inside the same building as another school mm -hmm. and i can completely picture that scene where you know the teacher at the charter school inside the building has got like some interesting project going on and the teacher in the non-charter school section of the building is like oh wow they're letting their kids group differently or they're like you literally are faced with like this is what parents are choosing and these we have the kids who have to go here so let's go see what they're doing and that's where they saw the strongest effect right like you want yeah, them to feel the competition yeah, you want them to feel the pain a little bit so that they actually improve their game. This particular study you're referring to is by uh, Sarah Cordes, and uh, it was uh, uh, published in uh, uh, the AAFP journal in 2018. And yeah. what's interesting about this particular study with the co-located charter schools, they found positive academic competitive effects, but they also looked at safety outcomes yeah. and found that there were improvements in safety in the public schools as well. And so schools aren't only competing on academics, they're also competing on many other things that parents value, including the safety of their students. So it's a very interesting study. I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up as well. Right. And I know anecdotally, when I was doing my, my dissertation on charter schools in Massachusetts, visiting one pretty remote district, not 
rural but remote because it was on sort of a peninsula out in so the South Boston Bay Area. And so it was remote. There was like one road that went in. And the parents were really unsatisfied with the school. And they would go talk to the superintendent. And they were told, yeah, there's nothing we can do. I mean, they were really <laughs> unhappy. And then a charter school opened, like unbeknownst to the school board or superintendent that it was going to open. And m more than 10% of the kids left the first year. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't afford <laughs> to lose 10% of our budget. So what do you need? And all of a sudden, they're listening to parents. And it's like, it was issues like safety of the school. It was issues like the bathrooms being fixed and stuff like that. They were like, oh, yeah, we can't do that until then they had to do it. And then somehow they found yeah. a way to do it. You know what I mean? So I just think about it in real terms. And it's frustrating to keep hearing that it wouldn't work here. Tell me how it works in rural areas, because you and I both know you can have school choice in rural areas. Yeah, and exactly what you said is exactly right, that, you know, schools will always just come up with excuses as to why they can't improve because there is this this whole you know expressing your concerns thing is not true accountability because uh the school leaders and employees can always just shrug their shoulders and say look you know we can't do this we just need more money and then mm -hmm. they can call for more money from the taxpayers without actually changing anything but when you actually have that bottom-up accountability of people voting with their feet schools actually do start to change and so to your concern with uh, school choice in rural areas, I have a few responses to this. One is that, look, I think Fordham or, or a similar organization did a, an analysis of the amount of schools that uh, individuals have in rural areas of school choice options, and there's actually a lot more than you, you would think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then second, another, a form of school choice that can help in rural areas is Virtual learning, mm -hmm. so you don't have to actually travel to the school. You can learn from home, but still have additional options outside that tr residentially assigned public school. Uh, uh, another response is, if if you only have one or two private schools in your rural area, let's say you just have one, mm -hmm. look, that's that's still better than having zero options. I'd rather have one or two options than mm -hmm. zero options. So that's not a really an argument against school choice. It's it's mm -hmm. it, you know you're still better off. And then in the long run, I think of this as an economist, that if you start to have demand, even in these areas, you're, you're likely to have uh, entrepreneurs enter the market in those areas as well. If, because in the traditional system, you don't have a ton of demand for private schooling. So it would look a lot different I think that's right. if the area has actually has you know, the demand driven by, these, by a school choice program. Right. So I think of like, OK, in Missouri, a lot of our districts are going to the four day school week. And I can't imagine every parent loves that because you got to do something with your yeah. kids on Friday. And so and they're doing it for cost reasons. So I could picture a situation where uh, parents were given their state funding, let's say fifteen thousand dollars and ten kids. You know, somebody got together with 10 kids and $150,000 and says we can come up with a solution, a micro school that's mm. gaining in popularity. That could happen in rural Missouri. Or you could oh, do yeah. like a shared experience or you could say you can go to high school over here in this district. I mean, I think you're exactly right. When you let the demand side work from an economic point of view, when you let the people express their demands, um, then the supply side reacts. And I have a hard time getting that message mm -hmm. across. People don't understand because they're like in the current system. Where would those yeah, kids go? I'm like, the things. system would change. At, yeah. You know what I mean? They always look at things in a static rather than a dynamic framework, which is a, a, a big fallacy. Uh, because yes, the the the, uh, the whole system would be completely different if people actually had the money uh, to be able to take to the school of their choice. Um, another another response to the uh, rural concern um, that that I like to point out is, 
a lot of the people will make two arguments at the same time. They'll say, one, the rural area isn't going to benefit from school choice because there's not a lot of options. But mm-hmm. then they say at the same time, uh, well, in the rural area, the public school is one of our main com- employers and we're going to, you know, destroy the public education system due to competition, but it can't really be both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they typically make these arguments both at the same time that, look, we don't have any options, but at the same time, it's going to destroy the public education system. Right, right, right. But if you don't have any options, no one's going to leave your schools if that's actually the case. But it seems like opponents of school choice just throw throw whatever at the wall and, and see whatever sticks. Yeah, and they're losing ground all over the place, right? And I know that, like, the federal government uh, surveys households every couple of years, and the percentage of parents who now, in the latest one, said that their child goes to their assigned public schools down in the 60s now. It's like 69%. So they're losing ground in so many places. Um, I, I think our our uh, colleague, Mike McShane, did a thing yesterday about a high school in Michigan that's going to start at 3 p.m., and... Mm. You know, just the kids are going to sleep during the day. I don't know. They're going to go from three to eight. And if that works better, I'm, I can imagine when my kids are in high school, they've been like, yeah, I'll go for that. You know, that's fine. Or uh, Billie Eilish just won all the Grammys and she's homeschooled yep. through the end of high school. And so I think the more that we see these examples, but I just am frustrated by the amount of resistance in some of our rural states like Missouri. Yeah, I definitely agree. But again, I think we're winning the ideological battle. Just we're, we're winning the logical arguments. And the other side, if you look at my Twitter, you'll see right away that uh, the other side com- quickly goes to ad hominem or name calling. And that's that's a good sign for the school choice movement. That, they like to call you names. You know, yeah. So if you're <laughs> calling names, it's typically a sign that you do not have logical arguments or the scientific evidence on your side. Right. Um, so I, I, I think that's a really I, I'm really optimistic when when I see those things. Most people get irritated when people uh, call them names, but I actually get kind of happy about it because it's a good sign. I think there's more than a few people in Missouri that are waiting for me to leave just because I keep pointing out like we don't have to do things this way. States like Florida do things mm. dramatically differently. And even Colorado, that's not far from here. Like there, even Indiana, there are lots of ways that we could be going about this. And yet we're stuck. We are 100% behind the 1950s model yeah. of like, well, my parents went there and my grandparents did that. And I know that when I have a five-year-old, <laughs> I need to move to the school district I want. And I'm like, you shouldn't have to move to get your kid in the kind yeah. of program you want. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, like we- there's no other industry that's like this, right? With college, we get to pick our, our schools. We don't have, we're not residentially assigned to a college. Uh, whenever we want to change restaurants and every week and you know go to a different place for dinner, we're not residentially assigned to a restaurant. We don't have to pick up and move to get to a different restaurant. And this is the heart of the problem in the education system, in my view, that we're residentially assigned to a particular school, which you know uh, leads to a geographic monopoly, especially when you couple that with property tax funding that's compelled mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, all of these things lead, lead to monopoly power which which leads to lower quality at a higher cost and that's what we've seen in the education system over time um, right. it, it makes a lot of sense to me it's, I hope I'm hoping it's starting to make a lot of sense to other people as well because look people like to choose stuff yeah, you know, we, we of have course. We, we you know we've had uber disrupt the taxi business I think we're gonna see something like that with with education as well. I'm not sure if you know of Carrie McDonald, but she's done a lot of work on unschooling. Yeah. Uh, she wrote a book called Unschooled, and she actually so has a new tech, tech startup. Explain unschooling for those who well, don't know just, what it is. 
Yeah, so it's a pretty murky definition, but I typically just default to explaining it as a, a type of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carrie McDonald has a new, you know, idea. It's a tech startup to essentially replicate the idea of Uber or Airbnb by tapping into unused supply mm-hmm. uh, of educators in the U.S. So a lot of people who are either retired and sure. you know. Um, you want to want to have a you know a job on the side of teaching kids to learn just mm-hmm. because that's what they like like to do and they have a lot of experience. Um, so she's created an app uh, so, so where parents can actually put, you know pick education providers and I'm I'm kind of I think that's the future of education. Um, I think that's great. Uh, it's just it's just starting up, so I'm I'm pretty excited about that. And I guess the question is whether uh, you pay for it or the government pays for it. And I know in Florida. Uh, kindergarten through third graders who are behind in reading can get from the government $500 to spend. And many of them are spending it on their own teachers to have them tutor them one-on-one. So I think part of the question is like, can people be trusted to have the public money to do things like find educators for their children? I'm hundred percent. Yes. Like yeah, I'm like, absolutely. Why not? You shouldn't have to pay for it. Um, I think you'll have stronger outcomes if you don't have to pay for it. But so many, there's so many sources of untapped, um, talent that we could be uh doing better when but you got to free it up so that parents can go and, and find it and look for innovative solutions for their kids right yeah again like i said earlier parents know more about their individual kids needs than bureaucrats who are sitting in offices hundreds of miles away they parents have more information about their kids needs mm-hmm. and they just care more about what their kids needs and th- a lot of these things cannot be measured by standardized test scores mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a lot of things that go into the decision of choosing a school or an unschool or a homeschool option. And I, you know, I think regulators and bureaucrats just need to start understanding that they don't have the information necessary to maximize mm-hmm. the educational potential of kids. Parents are much better positioned to, to do that. Yeah. I always say to not underestimate the power of parents because they are like uh, a force to be reckoned with when they want something for their kids. And I was reading about a mom in Florida who is cobbling together various school choice programs for her students, for her children with special needs. And one of her daughters is here. She has a daughter who's hearing impaired. And so she's using some of it to buy equipment, some of it to get tutoring, some of it to go to a private school. And so, you know, she's getting creative with the money that she has available to her. And I know parents that do that. I also had, uh, we did a podcast with Virginia Walden Ford and there was no stopping her when she wanted something. There was yep. no stopping her, right? Yeah, I, I just watched uh, another screening of Miss Virginia last night. It was yeah. the second time that I actually watched that movie, and it's super good. I actually just realized that she's Miss Virginia or Virginia Walden Ford is actually a background, uh, an extra character in one of the scenes she when they're is. at the, the Capitol in D.C. So if you you watch it again, you oh, that's awesome. Check that out. I, I, I didn't. I never realized that until you know last night, and someone else pointed it out to me. Um, but it's it's true that that parents get you know they they have the best interests of their kids at heart. Yeah. And you know these arguments against parents um, choosing schools for their kids are unfair for a couple of reasons. One is that well the government schools aren't doing much of a better job anyway, so sure. we don't like close down the government schools when they're when they're doing a bad job and and failing the needs of children. Um, so if you just turn that argument back on the traditional system, if we applied that logic to the traditional system, we wouldn't have 
uh, and a government-run education system anymore because they're failing so many students. Right, but it's like you can't close a neighborhood school and a, a failing neighborhood school in a disadvantaged neighborhood because then they won't have anywhere to go. And again, I don't understand why people are so resistant to the idea that the supply will come. Yeah, to mess I mean, the, I, mean get, I just don't understand. Yeah, give everybody the 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 money and, and like, look it. We, we don't see this in any, any other type of program either. Like you, you can take your food stamp dollars yeah. to the grocery store of your choice. You can take your mm-hmm. Pell Grant dollars to the college of your choice. You can take your GI Bill dollars to the college of your choice. Section you eight. can take Medicare dollars. Yeah. Do- do- yeah, all these things are, are – the money follows the families, but in the education system, the money goes to the schools and families get left behind. It shouldn't be that way. Families should just be able to – have their education dollars. Mm-hmm. We can even call it universal basic education income if we want to make sure. young supporters happy. <laughs> and we can, you know, we can even we can even save taxpayers money too. Let's just use ninety percent of the funding that you would have spent in the public schools, save taxpayers ten percent of the tab mm-hmm. and let people choose the educational options for their kids. And what's really strange is People are already doing this. Mm. People you know, advantaged people are already able to afford private schools. Advantaged people are already doing a lot of homeschooling options mm-hmm. and unschooling options. So it's it's really strange when uh, bureaucrats start getting really uh, all worked up about uh, low-income families yep. using using these same options. Oh, but, it's so maddening. You know, it, it, yeah, the, the argument really always comes down to this weird paternalistic belief that low-income families, for whatever reason, cannot pick wisely for their mm-hmm. own kids i just i just find that super appalling and paternalistic mm-hmm. because look low-income families you know are 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 you know they can make good good decisions for their kids as well and they 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 they're more than capable of doing this they don't so it's, care less i mean they care right. yes exactly equally, and they know like i'm lumping them into a group but the, the importance of education and, how, and a child's education and what it means for their life is known by parents across all income uh, streams. So it's not like the middle class and up have a lock on how important education is. All parents know how important it is and what a gateway it is. And it's just, you know, trapping them in a system. And they know they're bad schools, too. You know what I mean? Like, they're just stuck and there's nothing else they can do. And so, but they know it. And, like, to hold out hope that one day we'll spend enough money to turn them around to make them good schools is just, that's cruel to me. Like, to keep a kid who's starting kindergarten in a bad school system because one day it might turn around. Uh, it's, uh, it boggles my mind. And, and these these regulations of school choice programs are particularly problematic mm-hmm. because, they're one, they're usually just based on math reading test scores, which is a huge problem because, mm-hmm. again, parents choose based on safety and satisfaction and culture of the school and mm-hmm. whether their kid's getting involved in gang activities, which is not going to be picked up in the test scores. Right. And so regulating these options could could inadvertently force kids into less safe schools, which could harm them in the long, in the long run. But then also a lot of regulators will just look at average test scores. So even if test scores were perfect proxies for success, which they aren't, uh, the, the the regulator doesn't have the knowledge to determine which schools are actually good schools or bad schools. Yeah. And then third, uh, these decisions are always based on the average. You know, a school could be, um, you know, really good on average for a particular kid, but it may be bad for an, another family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's just so many issues with with trying to regulate school choice, and it, you know, ultimately it needs to fall into the hands of the families. Mm-hmm. The families need to hold the schools accountable, not not regulators. So, where are you based now? What state? 
I'm actually sitting in Los Angeles right now because nice. I was here for that, you know, Miss Virginia uh-huh. movie last night. But I'm 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 based in D.C. Oh, okay. Uh, I really like it there. Is you know, it's yeah. expensive and there's a lot of taxes, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of think tanks there. Which I is love it great. there. I was in D.C. for 25 years. There's an automatic like sort of. Um dislike of dc when you get out to much the rest of the country but i like it there too in dc mm-hmm. uh what half of the kids now are in charter schools there's also private school choice yeah. in dc and there's always been a strong network of private schools and dc public schools you know they've had a couple glitches but their performance has improved and people like i don't know if you mm-hmm. live in the city but like people are much more comfortable living within the city of dc now than they were 20 years ago because the school system is so much better but it's yeah, been DC's real open. Yeah, gotten, gotten a lot nicer, and, and uh, I think we can thank the charter school system. Like you mm-hmm. said, about half the public schools in D.C. are public charter schools, mm-hmm. uh, and they still have tons of wait lists. I think the most recent numbers said that about 10,000 students were on charter school wait oh, wow. lists in the most recent year, and they have the voucher program, which is what the Miss Virginia movie is all about. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting about the voucher program is the students on average get about a third of what the students – get in the traditional Mm -hmm. public schools. So in DC, per pupil spending in 2016, according to the federal database, the NCES database, Mm -hmm. it's about $28,000 per student. That's not, you you know, tally that up over 13 years, you could get a Ferrari (laughs) instead Um, or, or, or a house, right? $28,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the average voucher amount is only around $9,500. So a third of the amount and uh, I don't know if you, you saw the most recent D.C. Opportunity Scholarship Program evaluation that came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. They found no effects on math or reading test scores after sure. three years of the program. But they did it at a third of the cost, and they actually increased – there was an increase in satisfaction, safety, mm-hmm. and uh, attendance as well. So mm-hmm. all of these non-test score outcomes diverged from the test score outcomes, and they did it at a third of the cost, which is – yeah, uh, a, a huge win for school choice in D.C. Wasn't there the same issue in, in Louisiana when they looked at when somebody looked at the voucher program and didn't see test score results, but did see other results? Um, so, yeah, Louisiana had some mixed results as well, but the test score results were pretty clearly negative mm-hmm. even after the fourth year of the program. I've argued. So this is the only random assignment study of a voucher program mm-hmm. uh, that finds in the most recent year negative effects on either math or reading test scores. All the other ones find no, no effects or positive effects. And I think it's because Louisiana is so highly regulated. Only a mm-hmm. third of the private schools participated mm-hmm. in the, the private school choice program in, in Louisiana. And in other areas of the country where you have less regulations, or fewer regulations, uh, over twice that proportion, around 60 or 70% of schools actually participate. And we also found that in Louisiana, the lower quality private schools were more likely to participate because regardless of the regulatory structure, they were kind of just like, screw it, we need the money, we'll take it no matter what. Whereas the higher quality schools said, you know what, this is too much, we already have a model that's working, we don't want the regulations to change that. But there was some some positive um, effects still found in, in some of the evaluations. They found positive effects on uh, as the competitive effects study, looking at what mm-hmm. happens to the kids in the public schools. Their outcomes actually improved, and that's mm-hmm. a, a peer-reviewed evaluation. And they also found racial integration as a result of the private school choice program in Louisiana. They didn't ask them about stuff like safety. I, th- mm-hmm. I, I, I wish they did because mm-hmm. – just looking at other studies, they've found you know positive effects on safety overwhelmingly. Every time they've looked at 
that particular outcome. And what's also interesting about Louisiana is the lottery. So it's a random assignment study, but the lottery is whether you won the lottery to get your first choice school. Mm -hmm. So the control group is also private schools because the control group is your second choice, third choice, or if you didn't get any of your choices. So it's the effect of getting your first choice school, not it's more it's more accurate to say it's the effect of your preferred school not the effect of the program writ large and i've asked the authors this and they've they've confirmed that that's it's more accurate to actually say you know it's the effect of the first choice so that could just mean that parents are preferring Mm -hmm. schools that that aren't teaching to the test yeah 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 and so again you get into like the the semantics of how the research study was arranged and i so love that you are on top of all the research um that's going on in school choice because I feel like I used to be, I've been at this a long time, and now I'm kind of leaning towards, like, who cares? I don't care what the yeah, research says I don't anymore. Care Just let the parents pick. I, I mean, there's, like I was telling you, there's a new school that opened right by our office that um, is self-directed, and seemingly they have fewer than 10 students, and they don't have to do anything. They can go there and do what they want. Um, and they're hoping that one day, I think, like a light bulb goes off, and that that has happened quite a bit, right? But um, they don't have to do anything, and I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. That seems fine. As long as you're putting the control for education into the hands of parents, you're going to change the system. And what I care about is the system changing. And I feel like on our side, we, and I think we get criticized for this, we care a lot about proving that it's better. Mm -hmm. And that doing Mm -hmm. the research and using randomized controlled trials and doing gold standard research so we can prove it. And the other side's just like, nah, they shouldn't get to do it. You know what I mean? Like, And so now I'm more like, yeah, we should just get to do it. I don't know. Yeah. The, the evidence is largely on our, our side in school choice, and that's where I've kind of made my name, you know, going around the, the country talking about how the evidence is positive in school choice. But the reality is I don't care if the evidence was positive or negative. I think people I should know. still have the right to choose the education for their children because there's a ton of problems with these studies, and there's a lot of external validity concerns. Things change over time. Mm-hmm. Parents prefer different things. You have the average problem where you're just looking at average effects. Mm-hmm. program could have worked a lot, very well for a lot of uh, families on, uh, you know, tons of, and the whole thing is, why are they choosing these schools if it's actually harming them? I don't think it's actually harming them, mm-hmm. but I think researchers myopically focus on uh, just standardized test scores. But when you ask parents why they choose schools, they rank standardized test scores at the very bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Bedrick and Lindsey Burke did a 28 study, a 2018 study on this in Florida, surveyed over 13,000 families in Florida wow. using their education savings accounts uh, program or, or their tax credit scholarship program and found uh, that they ranked out of like 10 or 15 different things. Standardized test scores were the second to the bottom. Wow. They, I mean, cared, I know, like when I about culture, safety, sure. and you know, moral, moral education a lot more. When I choose a doctor, it might be whether the person looks me in the eye, or it might be how the yeah. waiting room feels. I don't know, and I don't want to be called out for what I used for my, you know, metrics. But it's like I get to choose what I want to choose, and it's because they don't make me wait, and that's good yeah, enough it, for me. And you shouldn't have to prove that to anyone. Uh, low-income families should not have to prove anything to academics to choose the schools of their choice. Absolutely. And, you know, I think academics really like the regulation heavy model mm-hmm. because it makes them feel important Yeah, that they think that, look, oh, I, you know, I get to control how everyone else and, and society is functioning based on my studies because they're so important. But when reality, a lot of people don't really care about what the evidence says. They care about the moral case for school choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it, it just so happens that we're lucky that the, the school choice evidence is overwhelmingly positive. But like you said, it shouldn't really matter all that much. I mean, if we applied that standard to like, you know, we don't apply that standard to Pell Grants, right? No, People just get the not. money and they get to pick the college they want. They don't st use standardized testing at the college to determine whether people could, should keep their Pell Grants or not. Yeah. And, you know, the the um, survey I mentioned before on where kid parents send their student to school, public assigned, et cetera. Many, many parents who responded to that survey got the answer wrong. Like they said private school, mm. but it was a charter school. Or they said homeschooled, it was charter. Like so the re the um, survey administrators had to follow up because I don't think parents really care about the governance structure. They, they yeah. do care about what happens in the building and if, and if their teacher knows their child's name. And they do care a lot about those kinds of things. And I think the more we emphasize letting parents, mm. the more we let parents emphasize those things, the better the system becomes as a whole. And the, the crappy schools with the super, you know, with low rates of satisfaction that no one really wants to go to will go away, I think. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how the market works. And it's a feature of the market. A lot of people say, oh, look, these charter schools closed down. Yeah. But that's a good thing. Great. It's, it's not a waste of money. They're not teaching kids anymore. Charter schools. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so it's, it's much better than keeping propping up a system of schools that isn't working for anyone and, and continuing to funnel funnel money money into that system for yeah. failing failing their students and families each year. That's that's the true waste of money there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right that you know families don't really care as much about the governance structure mm -mm. as you know academics and policy wonks do. You know we 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 study these things and compare sectors, but the parents really just want the best school for their kid, no matter who's you know operating the school. It, it could be a public school, a private school, a charter mm -hmm. school. Again, it could be any type of option, uh, and and different options will work for different families. Well, uh, and and I've always said school choice. A lot of people say school choice is anti-public school, but that's not actually the case. It's just pro-choice and it's pro, pro-family and pro-child, and that could be a public school or any other type of sure. school. Any kind of school. Well, I'm glad that smart yeah. people like you, really smart people like you, are still doing high-quality research. And where can people go to learn more about your work? Uh, I share a lot of my work on Twitter. I, I actually share it there before anywhere else. Just follow me with um, at DeAngelis Corey. It's just my last name and my first name. But you can also find all of my studies either at the Reason Foundation website or the Cato Institute website. The best way to find those websites is to just Google Corey Cato Institute or Corey Reason Foundation. Corey with an E. Work. Right? Yes, yeah. you are EY. And your Twitter yep. feed's always entertaining, so I highly recommend people go out and follow you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.